It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. It always gets here so quickly. The last hour of Green and Growing. Good Saturday morning. Glad to be with you, Ashley Frasca, for another hour. And then Dave Baker takes over with the Home Fix-It show. And then I'll be back on Monday during Atlanta's morning news for triple team traffic. So coming up at the bottom of the hour, spring blooming trees and shrubs at Pike Nursery. Still a good time to install a new tree or shrub. They'll have time to establish some roots before it gets too warm and think about it, you've already seen yellow forsythia in bloom, Bradford pear trees flowering out, Japanese magnolias or tulip magnolias, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they flower before leafing out, which makes that tree so unique. And up next, we're looking forward to wisteria in the next couple of weeks, some dogwoods and Chinese fringe, Laura Pedlum, the uh, purple leaf shrubs and bushes that you see in front of a lot of homes will get those white or pink pom-poms on them. Still some cherry trees, too. They're early bloomers. There's some varieties that are continuously blooming even into now and April. So to know the difference between all of these, I want to invite you to see the Highway Horticulture photo album on my Facebook page. When you uh, like or follow Green and Growing WSB on Facebook, go to Photos and find albums, Highway Horticulture, something Walter Reeves and I put together years ago, identifying everything as it's flowering and in bloom. That way you know what you're looking at. And coming up next Saturday, I am really excited to have Clint Waltz, a turf grass specialist from the University of Georgia, back on the show. He'll be live in the studio to answer all of your questions about lawn, turf, weeds, fertilizer, pre-emergent. Oh my goodness. So many great questions that you all started really calling in with about three or four weeks ago and looking forward to some of those warm season grasses like Bermuda, like Centipede, St. Augustine, all starting to warm up. All right, back to the phones, 404-872-0750. Alex and Bremen looking to move some plants around. Hey, Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. How you doing? Good. We're building a house about three miles uh, from the current house we uh, live in, and we're keeping that house as well and going to rent it out, so we're not in a hurry to move anything. But I was wondering what, uh, for the plant's sake, what would be the best time of the year to transplant uh, a few plants from our property to the new property? I would say any time but in the dead of summer. Um, that's just going to be so stressful for the plant and it's just more responsibility on you to remember to water, you know, frequently as it adjusts to its new spot. Um, but like right now, while things are still mild, even up to maybe early May would be ideal. And then if you, if you miss those windows, do what you have to do in the summertime. I'm not saying you can't, I just wouldn't. Um, but then if you can go back in in fall when things start to cool off a little bit, um, that's going to be another really ideal time. Okay, so spring or fall, it would, and either time better than one or the other, because no. we're not in a not really rush, not really at all. Like when we talk about and preach establishing new trees and new shrubs, fall is always the ideal time because they're able to settle in and get acclimated before the you know cold winter weather. But something that's established, spring, fall makes no difference. Um, and when you're going to dig things out, if it is trees and shrubs, that kind of thing, just remember to dig wider than deep so that you get all of the root ball, especially like on something like an azalea. You really want to dig out pretty wide to get as much of the root as you can. All right, great. Thank you. Yeah, and just a, a hint, too. I know you'll probably be driving back and forth, Alex, but always really helps the plant and saves you some time to dig the new holes first. 
So go to the new house, kind of scout out where you're going to plant things, and then have those holes already dug and ready. Again, wider than deep. That way you're able to lay out those roots and they have plenty of space to move. And then go back to the old house, dig them up, yank them up, and then they have a, a, a spot to go to right away. If you can't get things planted in the ground right as you've dug them up or maybe a neighbor gives you something, pretty key to do it within a couple of days, I would say. Uh, You can keep the roots wrapped in something, perhaps, maybe like a sheet or a bucket with just a little bit of water in the bottom, something to keep it protected. 404-872-0750. Jay calling from downtown. Hey, Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Ashley. How are you today? Great. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you for answering my call. Always loved your show. First Thank time you. caller. Oh, perfect. Uh, good, since, good. Since Walter Lee left, uh, so um, keep a good job. You're doing a good job, actually. Thank you, Jay. That means a lot. Okay. I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Uh, my question is, uh, we did suffer with uh, some hard freeze on my peach tree. It's full flash bloom right now. And uh, my second part of question is, what kind of spray I can use to prevent my peach uh, peaches? come good uh, you know doesn't have any any worms or bug inside because i haven't sprayed anything this year yet okay yes and as you well know jay and i think anybody with fruit trees can attest to uh, a spray regimen is so important and the sooner you get to it the better peaches are one of the more difficult fruit crops for homeowners to grow which is very ironic given that we're the peach state once you've really started with peach trees or something like that you kind of have to think in cycles because there's fungicides to prevent uh, brown rot and other things in peaches and other trees or other fruits. Uh, Brown rot is going to be a a fungus, a disease that affects the fruit and it's visible once the fruit has, you know, come, come out into the tree. Pesticides are important. Don't spray if not needed, but generally you're probably going to have some problems with pests. Plum curculio, which bores into the peach and then you see it oozing, you know, sap from him burying his nose in there. Um, Insecticidal soaps are not a bad idea, spray oils, that kind of thing. So let's start off while the tree is blooming. That's the time to do a fungicide like Captain Jack's or a Bonide product, something like that. Ortho has a product as well. So when it's blooming, you'll focus more on a fungicide to really keep things at bay. What you don't want to do, as I mentioned, is use a pesticide because the bees need to visit those flowers. You don't want a pesticide on there. A home orchard spray product usually combines an insecticide with a fungicide. So once we're past bloom time, thinking about that, a home orchard spray, follow the label directions as to how often you need to do that. Proper pruning in the beginning to get that shape right so that it's shaped so that it allows the maximum amount of sunlight in, Um, It's not overcrowded, branches aren't crossing, and also that it's able to get that airflow and that good circulation, not planting peach trees or any fruit trees too close together so that they're properly spaced. Again, that's important for airflow and preventing all kinds of uh, insects and diseases and things too. The healthier the tree, it's going to be able to combat those things. And it's important to fertilize as well. Did you know coming up in April next month is a good time to go ahead and fertilize with 10-10-10, uh, one cup of maybe 10, 10, 10 per foot of tree height. Um, and then you'll do it again in June. You don't want to over-fertilize, but April, June, good times to mark on the calendar to fertilize those fruit trees. And it's so important that they get the proper irrigation um, and the stress and the heat of the summertime. So when the fruit's enlarging and turning ripe, consistent moisture is important, just like with our tomato plants, too. So many of you face so many different issues with tomatoes. 
And a lot of different issues that we have with tomato plants could be kept at bay or prevented altogether with consistent moisture, and and fruit trees are really no different. So you have to water regularly in June, July, and August as the tree starts to fill out. Over time, that's really going to be beneficial that it's not feeling any stress or anything like that. Tomato plants, like I said, the same. You really have to take into account how often it's raining versus how often you're watering. And tomatoes, I know this is an aside, a little off from talking about fruit trees, but mulch is important at the bottom of tomato plants because obviously they're a lot shorter than trees. Um, But you don't want any splashback. You don't want, when you're watering at the base of the tomato plant, you don't want dirt and all the things that could be in the soil splashing back up on the leaves or up on the fruit itself. So mulch is important for something like that. But for the trees, mulch them as well. So a lot of different sprays that you can choose from. There's just regular sprays, there's spray oils, there's even copper soap, and that's effective against uh, some of the blights and cedar apple rust and things like that. At Pike Nursery, one of my favorite lines is by Bonide. Um, They put out all kinds of fruit sprays, whether it's a fungicide, a pesticide. If you take nothing else away from this, though, Jay, it is important to not really spray as they're flowering out because that's when the pollinators are visiting the flowers. That's when the transfer of pollen is happening. When we come back, I'm actually going to tell you guys how to find the best information for a spray regimen in addition to just reading the labels on the bottles of sprays that you get. So stay tuned for that from the University of Georgia Extension Service. We'll be back. It's Green and Growing on WSB. And welcome back, nearing the end of the show. And then, of course, Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It show starts at 9 o'clock. That weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. The complete forecast comes up in less than 15 minutes. Following up on Jay's question and home orchard sprays, timing is so important. Where I would go is uh, the website, extension.uga.edu, for the University of Georgia Extension Service extension.uga.edu, go under publications, and you can search a wide variety of things, especially when it's, you know, coming to edibles and crops and things like that. Type home orchard spray or just home orchard. See what you come up with there. Another idea is to find your local county extension agent. You do that by calling 1-800-ASK-UGA-1. You can get in touch with your local county extension agent, and they are more than happy to have you come pick up a home orchard spray guide or maybe they can mail it to you or email it to you, that is going to be one of the best things to do. And, you know, I misspoke with a call last week. Somebody called about fruit cocktail trees, and then we spoke to Pike Nursery about them, too. Really cool where multiple varieties of, say, apples are grafted onto one tree, or a few varieties of citrus are grafted onto one tree, or maybe plums and peaches. He asked if he needed more than one out in Douglas County, and I think I said, yeah, a minimum of two. But no, you only need one. That's the beauty of these fruit cocktail trees that grow a little smaller and all of the pollen is transferred just in that one tree. Green, green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. Yep, and it's that time again, coming up with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend and followed by Pike Nursery in about 10 minutes again this Saturday. Number one. Be on the lookout for Ambrosia Beetle on Crepe Myrtle. We talked to Premier Tree Solutions a little bit about that last Saturday. You see the toothpick-shaped sawdust hairs coming out of the trunk, and that's where the beetles have bored their holes. Once you get that far, a fix is near impossible, but it's best to preventatively spray susceptible trees, maybe like maples, a few magnolias, Crepe Myrtle very early in the spring. 
Number two, remove spent camellia blooms from the bush and from the ground. So those are the blooms that uh, are starting to die down and wrap up from your beautiful japonica camellias. By doing this, you'll prevent camellia petal blight. Always a good idea to do that with any flowering shrub, really. I do it with my knockout roses, removing what look to be diseased uh, leaves that have fallen below the base of the plant. Just a good environmental and hygienic practice. And number three, repot house plants. You plan to move outdoors. Their roots need more room as they grow rapidly, receiving all that sunshine. And remember, stick with a new pot only an inch or so wider in diameter than the one the plant's currently in. And someone recently asked me when it would be a good time to put plants outside, like Christmas cactus and a hibiscus. Lows have still been hanging around in maybe the 40s, so I would wait just a little bit longer. All right, as promised, wrapping up the show when we come back, Pike Nursery. Stay tuned. I'm glad you're here. It's a Saturday morning on 95.5 WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to the show. Almost wrapping things up on a beautiful Saturday morning. Ashley Frasca here with you, green and growing. And of course, you know it. I've got someone from Pike Nursery with me as well to talk about what's available in the nurseries, what you may be seeing out in your gardens right now, and how to get your hands on some spectacular plants. So back with me, it's Allison Smith. Allison is the manager of the East Cobb store. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Good morning, Ashley. How are you? We have a fun topic to talk about today for sure. Oh, boy, don't we? And it is so timely because everything's in bloom. Now, that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's beautiful. It's nice to see. It's a welcoming sign of spring. But the pollen, girl, that's going to be kicking up soon, isn't it, if it's not already? Oh, <laughs> oh boy. I just I try to block it from my head. I try to just focus on the blooms. I know it's coming. I've been eating spoonfuls of honey in preparation. <laughs> hey, that's, that's a good one. I like that. Things that folks see on the roadsides. I have a photo album on Facebook when you follow Green and Growing WSB on Facebook. It's called Highway Horticulture. It's a photo album with all of these different trees and shrubs that are flowering so folks can identify them. So they may want to look into that and follow along. But one of the most common, one of the most beautiful, often pink blooms are the cherry trees, Allison. They're gorgeous. You can see them everywhere. Um, They're one of my favorite flowering trees. And I love them because they're almost a, a big flag indicating that spring has arrived. They're one of the earliest to start flowering. Um, And so we just embrace all of the pinks and soon to be whites and then more pinks coming with the Akames, the Yoshinos, and the Kwanzans. The Akames are the ones that, that everybody's seeing right now in bloom and opening up. So those are the really pretty ones. And uh, one of my favorites is the Snow Fountain Weeping Cherry. I love the weeping cherries because even in, um, in winter, uh, after they've defoliated, they've got such a pretty structure with, uh, with their branches. But man, when they explode, it really does look like a fountain of color. They're gorgeous. Love that. And another colorful one that folks notice and have asked me about, it's funny, the flowers are like a light purple, almost magenta. They grow on the limbs of the tree, which is unusual, and then it'll set heart-shaped leaves, eastern red buds. 
they're stunning. That really bright pink. It's almost like a bubblegum pink, yeah. right? And then the, it goes into that deep magenta. And it's as if the blooms are just levitating, I always tell people, right there on the branches. Because the blooms appear prior to the foliage, just like you said. And then the name um, of the red buds is actually means heart shape. So it's really oh. pretty. The Circus, yeah. Um, so that's how we always remember it, the heart-shaped leaves. So what are some of the ones that we could pick up at Pike Nursery? One of my favorites, for sure. Sure, of course. Uh, the Rising Sun and then Ruby Falls. Again, this weeping variety. Um, and it has deep purple burgundy leaves, the the Ruby Falls. It's really stunning. I love it as an ornamental tree um, where a lot of people embrace the Japanese maples for ornamentals. I really think that uh, the Ruby Falls is a good uh, competitor there um, for an ornamental in the yard. It only will get about 12 to 15 feet tall in its lifetime, so it's really a stunning feature. Also, the flamethrower. That's a great colorful variety. That's an upright, um, and its leaves emerge in hues of red, orange, and yellow. Mm. And then they mature into green. So it's kind of like the inverse of fall that you have going on there. I love it. That's really interesting. All right. Now, something that's definitely uh, spring blooming, maybe a little later in the spring. uh, You know, we think of traditional magnolias, southern magnolias, but these particular types you're going to talk about that are in bloom now are a little different than those evergreen, you know, magnolias that keep their leaves. Yes, the star magnolias and tulip magnolias. Again, um, really bright flowers. And I I think I confused a little bit the red buds and the magnolias when I was talking about blooms levitating. Um, In my head, I was talking about the tulip. I was thinking of the tulip magnolias and star magnolias. These are the ones that have really big, bright blooms. Also in pink, you can also find them in uh, creamy yellow, some of of these pretty um, deciduous magnolias. Really beautiful. They've been blooming for a couple weeks now Mm -hmm. and still will continue to bloom for about one or two more weeks. So we've got loads of those in the greenhouse. They're stunning. They're interesting because, you know, to me, the tulip magnolia and the forsythia bush, the yellow bush, they kind of bloom around the same time and they put out flowers before they even leaf out. So that makes them really, you know, easy to identify in the landscape. Absolutely. Again, another great marker of the onset of spring, right? Yeah. So what are some other ones that we could pick up that are in the nurseries now for us to plant? Well, of course, we've got the fruit trees. Um, I know that uh, previously, Rebecca from our Toco store talked a lot about fruit trees, the peaches, pears, plums, and more. Those are all flowering right now as they prepare to um, produce fruit. Uh, Some big fan favorites, though, and I know you're excited about this one, dogwoods. Coming back again is the Dogwood Festival, and these are southeastern natives, so they are stunning. They start off right now with just little greenish-yellow buds, and varieties come in white, pink, and even a deep pink with the scarlet and Venus dogwoods. I'm so glad you mentioned that because the organizers of the Atlanta Dogwood Festival are just so excited to be back. And you're right, that is going to happen April 8th through the 10th. So fingers crossed, Allison, that we don't have some other crazy late freeze or something that's really going to ruin the flowers on those dogwoods. I know, I know. And that festival is such a great one that we have uh, here in Atlanta. So I'm very much looking forward to its return and, uh, and, and hoping that Mother Nature is very kind. <laughs> yes, that better be good weather that weekend, I'm telling you. That, that's right. Um, I would be remiss uh, not to mention uh, Japanese maples um, because they're one of my favorite trees. Uh, they don't have any blooms, um, but they are just starting to leaf out. And of particular note is my, one of my favorite Japanese maples, the coral bark or the sengukaku, because it's got that deep coral um, bark through winter that's just stunning. And now all of its bright green chartreuse leaves are starting to emerge. Man, it looks 
it looks stunning in the landscape. So just wanted to throw that one in there, too. <laughs> and, you know, I want to let folks know, I think I mentioned this last weekend, but a note from Norm Mitleider, who is a certified aesthetic pruner, deals a lot with Japanese maples, kind of passed along to me, you know, some of those new leaves that Japanese maples were putting out were affected by that hard freeze that we had a couple of weekends back. And so uh, Norm's tip, and this is interesting, Allison, you could tell some customers too, maybe if only half of the leaves were damaged or a little greater than half of the leaves looked frostbitten, fertilize. A light recommendation of fertilizer, something like Hollytone, which you all carry um, for those, and that'll kind of help them a little bit. But only if a third or so of the leaves are damaged, not a lot, no need for fertilizing, just let Mother Nature take its course. But I think a light fertilization on one that's over 50% frost damage is really going to kind of help boost it to put out more leaves to get rid of the leaves that were affected by the hard freeze. That's fantastic advice. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, I like that too. So that can people could rest a little easier because they're still noticing things, you know, that were maybe affected by the hard freeze. But despite that, Allison, I mean, the weather is great right now. We always say fall is the perfect time to plant trees and shrubs, but spring is just as good because I think there's still enough time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but still enough time before everything gets too hot that the plants have a good couple of months to still establish roots without them becoming stressed, right? No, you're absolutely right. Uh, We consider fall and spring great times to plant. The soil is still cool enough, uh, as well as the temperatures, so it's not stressful to the plants or, frankly, to us when we're out there planting, right? Yes, we feel (laughs) Um, a lot better in the spring, too, yes. (laughs) We can enjoy it. Um, And also, because of um, the, the moderate climate and the cooler soil, the trees and shrubs can really just focus on establishing a strong root system before they start allocating all of their energy to growing and staying hydrated as the temperatures rise. So we love spring for planting. Perfect. So now's the time to do it. So you rattled off some great trees that are in bloom now. Let's let's hear about some shrubs. Maybe we look for something a little bit smaller. I know I talk about the camellias a lot, but man, they're still blooming. Those uh, camellia japonicas um, look stunning. If you've passed by and seen any of those huge red, pink, white coral blooms and the big glossy green leaves, that's them. They're still blooming. We've probably got about two to three more weeks of blooms. And of course, since they're evergreen, it's a great addition to the landscape. Um, A couple of my favorites, Tricolor, which is a white pink, and the pink has little red streaks on the bloom. It's really neat. Um, Jack's, which is a a big favorite. It's a salmon pink. And then Bob Hope, which is a classic. It's a really rich red bloom. So those are just three off the top of my head, great varieties uh, that that can pop in your landscape. And then, of course, as a reminder, these guys thrive, the camellias thrive in partial shade at most, especially the japonicas. So filtered sun or only morning sun. They don't, they don't need a space um, too prominent in the sun uh, once July comes around with that intense sunshine. Uh, they don't like it. But something that does like sun, viburnum. Uh, boy, do they look pretty. The shades of pink right now are already blooming. They start off with white and then light pink flower clusters and they get really big um, you can also uh, kind of hedge them in a yard so I love that the the viburnum shades of pink is also um, evergreen so it won't defoliate in the fall 
but then one that is a big fan favorite, and I'm sure you've heard of this one, um, Ashley, is the Chinese snowball yes. or also the eastern snowball. Kind of get mistaken a lot for huge um, hydrangeas. They do. Because they, yeah, people will be like, what is that 20-foot-tall hydrangea? <laughs> um, and I'm like, are you sure it's 20 feet? But they do get really big. <laughs> and they have those big white flower clusters that look like hydrangeas. Um, but they actually bloom a few months earlier. So uh, those are great additions as well. And then lastly, one of uh, Georgia favorites, azaleas. Um, some of them are already starting to bloom in landscape. And one of the reasons we love azaleas, um, in addition to the masters, uh, yes. <laughs> we see them everywhere, is you can, you can keep them in uh, shade gardens as well as sun. So picking the right variety Really, all you need to know um, is the amount of sun that you're going to get in that area and then how big you want them because we've got azaleas to meet every every need and desire in your landscape. Yeah, deciduous, evergreen, every color, every size for sure. And, you know, azaleas encompass so much. Allison, I want to bring you back next Saturday. Would that be okay if we just talk about azaleas because there's so oh, much absolutely. to learn about them? <laughs> Absolutely. There's a lot to talk about there for sure. We'll do that. And another one that kind of uh, thrives in the same situation is rhododendrons. And I was so fortunate when we moved into our house 11 years ago to have four big ones that line the side of the driveway. And those are getting ready to bust open right now. And they're so beautiful. Oh, they're stunning when they bloom. Uh, Those blossoms just explode. I always think of them like big fireworks of color um, because the blooms are so big. And they do really well also um, in our Georgia clay uh, and in our climate for sure. They don't like a whole lot of direct sun. They will take some sun, but you have to be kind of careful where you plant them. They are fantastic, though, and I love that you have some in your yard. And just a reminder to folks, now we're talking about azaleas and rhododendrons, too. They're getting ready to flower out. They've already got the buds set. So don't prune those now. Don't do anything unless you absolutely have to maybe do a thinning cut and remove a long branch or something like that. But just be patient. Wait for the blooms to last you through spring. And then right after they're done is a good time to prune them. All trees and shrubs guaranteed for life at Pike Nursery. That's important to remember. So that's where the gardening without guesswork comes in. Allison Smith, thank you so much. I look forward to having you back next Saturday to talk about azaleas. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you so much, Ashley. Have a great morning. You too. We'll be right back with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. You're listening to WSB. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. A few more minutes left to do this. Green. Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. Number one, be on the lookout for ambrosia beetle. And oddly enough, the Georgia Urban Ag Council just included that in one of their most recent newsletters. So trying to prevent it early so you can avoid them infesting some of your favorite trees like maples, crepe myrtles, a lot of different fruit trees. So permethrin is one of the insecticides that may work preventatively. There's also a way to trap them. I'll share something on the Facebook page tomorrow of a way to do that. Number two, good environmental practices. Removing spent camellia blooms from your bush, from the ground. Those blooms are from japonica camellias, which have just another week or two left to hang on to those flowers. By doing that and picking up those blooms, you can help prevent camellia petal blight. Trust me, you don't want that. 
And coming up in the next few months, people will start to see T-scale on their camellias too. So I'll keep you posted. Number three, you can repot houseplants that you plan to move outdoors. Take time to do that because their roots are going to need more room as they grow rapidly in the sun and you're slowly going to start moving them out onto the deck, onto the patio, not in direct sunlight, but kind of get them acclimated to that light. But when you're repotting things, you only want to go to a new pot an inch or maybe two wider in diameter than the pot the plant is currently in. It's been a fun show. And hey, I want to tell you too about uh, Dr. Alan Armitage is doing an online walkabout of his garden coming up this morning at just 9.30, not too long from now. Jump over to my Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB, to check out a link for that. Trust me, if you want more gardening, this is going to be the man you want to follow. It's so much better in person, but a virtual uh, walkabout in his garden is just as nice. Have a great Saturday. I will be back with uh, turfgrass specialist from the University of Georgia, Clint Waltz, next Saturday. Have a great weekend, folks.